the Bain Free Radio Hour. On the podcast, King Cobra and Midnight Dragon class starships in convenient 40-ounce sizes used for odd purposes on backward planet Earth. Cuttlefish fight for honor in Isaacs. Plus, we continue with the complete audiobook serialization of Alliance of Equals by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller. All right now. Welcome to the Bain Free Radio Hour podcast. It's an honor to have you along. I'm Bain Senior Editor Tony Daniel. Hey, we talked with Tim Zahn this time about the new entry in his Cobra Rebellion science fiction adventure series. This is the third and final entry in the Cobra Rebellion series and is a great finale to this section and to the entire nine-book Cobra series, which is uh, coming to a resting point with this novel as well. Tim will discuss all that with us and tell us all about this great uh, universe he's created. And we continue with the complete audiobook serialization of Sharon Lee and Steve Miller's Alliance of Equals. Now here's the news. I want to call your attention to the excellent free fiction and nonfiction now available at the Bain.com website. We put up these pieces to highlight a book that will be out from Bain, and this month both pieces relate to new offerings. First is the free fiction by Travis S. Taylor. That one is called Pain is the Fuel. No pain, no gain. The war with the ruthless alien Chiata rages on. Deanna Moore, known by the call sign Phoenix, fights for the triumph of humanity over the Chiata, but for very personal reasons. She and her mecha-suited team of Marines are bringing the fight to the aliens. Doing so will cause Deanna considerable pain. Good thing for her, and a very bad thing for the Chiata. To Deanna Moore, pain is the fuel. In this all-new story by Travis S. Taylor, set in his Tossetti Agenda series, and the latest entry in that series, Bringers of Hell, will be out in February. Also on the Bain.com front page is Catching the Gravitational Lens Express, the scientific backstory to Mission to Methany by Les Johnson. This is related to Les's big science, sense of wonder science fiction novel that's coming out soon, Mission to Methany. Science has always wrestled with the big questions, with frustrating, confounding, and immensely satisfying results. So too has science fiction wrestled with these same big questions of existence. Since the dawn of space travel and before, we've asked ourselves things like, is it possible to travel to other star systems? Are we alone in the universe? And if we aren't, where are the aliens? We get a little closer to answering these and many other questions as space scientist and science fiction novelist Les Johnson reports in this month's free nonfiction essay. And along the way, of course, Les Johnson discusses the background to his new novel, Mission to Methany. Catching the Gravitational Lens expressed the scientific backstory to Mission to Methany by Les Johnson and Pain is the Fuel by Travis S. Taylor are both available at Bain.com. They're on the front page and soon will be part of our new Free Stories 2018 ebook anthology and our Free Nonfiction 2018 ebook collection, which are both available in perpetuity at BainEbooks.com. want to welcome Timothy Zahn to the podcast. Hello, Tim. Hi, Tony. How are you doing? 
Pretty good. Uh, Timothy Zahn is a Hugo Award winner and author of the New York Times number one bestseller, Heir to Empire, the, the Star Wars book, and many others. Uh, born in Chicago, he earned a BS in physics from Michigan State and MS in physics from the University of Illinois. He sold his first novel to Analog in 1978 and has been going great guns ever since. Bain published his popular Cobra trilogy in one volume. Uh, we also did the Black Collar books as well before that. Tim continued the series with his Cobra War trilogy, and now the Cobra Rebellion series is uh, three books in. The first two books in that series, the Cobra Rebellion series, are Cobra Slave and Cobra Outlaw, by the way. His other popular series include the Conqueror and Dragonback novels. Tim has written over 20 novels, including a recent collaboration with David Weber and Tom Pope in the Manticore Ascendant series. That is, he and David are, are writing that. And the third book is uh, coming out in March, which is called... Um, uh, a Call to Vengeance, and that's a really great one, and it's a it's a real uh, climax for this this great storyline set in the past of the of David Weber's Honorverse. But out now at booksellers is book three in the Cobra Rebellion trilogy, which is this interior Cobra trilogy. Uh, that book is called Cobra Trader. Tim, it looks like we are nine books into this really fun sort of space adventure military science fiction series. Um, can you maybe lay a little groundwork by telling us? The uh, the readers that don't know what a cobra is, um, what 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 he can do, etc. So, yeah, I'll go ahead with that. Uh, one one uh, small correction I hadn't noticed before. Uh, I'm actually up to about fifty three novels. Uh, just so that uh, you know, I, I have been working on this for quite a while, and and uh, I've been keeping busy. Okay, cobras. Uh, the original. Uh, story for Cobras envisioned a, uh, a future empire dominion of man that had been attacked by the uh, the troughts and two of its worlds had been conquered uh, and occupied. Uh, the Cobras were a response to this. They were to be dropped onto the occupied worlds and to uh, set up resistance forces. Uh, they were unique in uh, Dominion technology and warfare in that their weapons were uh, built into their bodies. So they had fingertip uh, lasers, they had a, an anti-armor laser running down the left calf. Uh, they had a bone laminae system and servos to, uh, uh, for extra strength and, and speed. Um, and they had um, uh, optical and, and auditory sensors, enhancements and such. The, the key to the project was a nanocomputer that was uh, put in under the brain that could control the servo network with pre-programmed reflexes. So you could, uh, along with everything else, you could have a, uh, a ceiling jump that would get you behind the enemy that was programmed into the nanocomputer you would set the, the range to the ceiling, jump, and it would flip you over. Uh, so you'd hit the ceiling feet first, flip you back toward the floor, and turn you over uh, in time for your feet to hit the ground. And things like uh, you could use the optical enhancements to target an enemy and then just fire, and the servo network would aim the, uh, the lasers for you. So uh, that was the whole thing. The problem was that when the Cobras... Well, when the Dominion won the war and kicked the, co the troughs off those two worlds, we had a whole bunch of veterans, co veteran cobras, who had nothing to do. And the populace was a bit nervous about soldiers returning from war with their weapons you know, still implanted because he couldn't really take them out easily. Um, 
the solution was to send a bunch of cobras and colonists through the Troft's space, Troft assemblage, to some worlds on the far side uh, where they could start new human colonies. The cobras would act as you know, police, guardians, uh, soldiers, whatever was needed on these un- unclaimed worlds. So that happens kind of at the the middle of the first of the Cobra books, and ever since then we've been following the Moreau family. Uh, Johnny Moreau was the hero of the first book, uh, following their uh, experiences on the Cobra worlds, uh, dealing with military and political aspects of the whole thing, and as well as uh, dealing with the troughs on the far side of the assemblage as well. And the troughs are, are rather nasty aliens. Um, yeah, uh, their their key is that they are very very good fighters. They have a, a high technology and a good military system. Their weakness is that they are not a unified force. They are broken up into little demeans of two, three, four star systems each, which are always jockeying for power. I mean, pic- picture uh, what 15th, 16th century Italy, for example, with all the little city states. Uh, very similar, and it's hard to get more than a few of these demeans and demean lords to cooperate in any given uh, given thing. And the the uh, our heroes of this book use that to some extent, and, and of course the troughs themselves are jockeying for position and advantage. Uh, so it makes the, the military and politics complicated on the trough side as well as the human side. Mm. Now, as new as the Cobras have children, and they do have a lot <laughs> um, over time, um, how, did, how do the descendants become Cobras too? Is there a process or? Yeah, I mean, it's a surgical technique that was done and when, when the Cobras were sent uh, along with the colonists to the Cobra worlds. Uh, uh, the, the equipment was sent along with them so they could have future generations of cobras. Part of the problem is, as always, there are unintended consequences. And one of the unintended consequences, unexpected consequences of the cobra surgery was a whole bunch of future medical problems. You have the bone laminae, uh, has space for red blood cells to come out, but not as much as a normal bone would, uh, so they tend to get anemia. Uh, they get arthritis, they get other physical problems, which shortens their lifespan. So after the first generation of Cobras, everybody who went into the program knew that they are going to serve their their nation, their people, they're going to serve and protect, but it's going to cost them several, maybe 10, maybe 20 years of their life down the line. Uh, very, very similar to how those who serve us in the military, police, uh, fire departments, know that they are risking their lives, except in the Cobra's case, it's pretty much guaranteed I'm going to have a shorter life, even if I survive everything else that's thrown at me. So it was a, uh, these are the, uh, you know, the, the finest that uh, uh, the Cobra worlds have, the ones who are dedicated, and as I say, very much, uh, very much military type of uh, image. Hmm. So, as Cobra Trader begins, I know it's rather convoluted, but there are essentially, I, th- <laughs> I think, four power centers in the series at, at this point. The Cobra worlds, the Troft um, and their factions, the Dominion of Man, and this planet, um, 
of uh, a lost planet, which is, I think it's called Kasama, isn't it? Or, or is it just the Kasama? Kasama. Kasama is how I pronounce it, yes. Yeah. Can you sort of set the galactic stage of, uh, of all, these, um, all these forces and who are the good guys, sort of, and who are the bad guys, et cetera? Well, the good, the, the good guys are obviously uh, the Cobra worlds. There are, it, it's not all black and white. There are levels. Uh, okay, set the stage. The Cobra worlds have been out here for about 100 years, several generations. Um, in the Cobra War series, they were unexpectedly attacked by a couple of trough demeans uh, with the help of the Kasamans. Kasama, as you say, is a lost colony we ran into in the uh, second book of the of the nine book series, uh, uh, Cobra Bargain. I know, I'm sorry, uh, Cobra Strike. Uh, lost colony, very yeah, Middle East background. They had run from the Dominion of Man hundreds of years before and set up their own world. They are rather paranoid and, as a result, had a whole bunch of good military stuff, layered defenses and such, set up for when the uh, Trofts invaded them as well in the, in the, the Cobra War trilogy. So they don't trust the Cobra worlds for reasons. Go back into the earlier in the series. The Cobra worlds don't necessarily trust them and are rather bit, a bit frightened of them. Uh, the only real contacts who have any good contact with the Kasamans are Johnny Murrow's descendants, his uh, uh, daughter, uh, his, I guess, granddaughter, Jin, Jasmine, uh, was, was there on Kasama many years ago, made some contacts there. And when the Cobra War begins, when the troughs invade, she and her son Merrick, who is also a Cobra, are also... Um, on the ground there. They've been asked to come visit, and they are on the ground, and they work with the Trofts, while uh, uh, Jin's other son, uh, Lorne, and his uh, her daughter, uh, Jody, are dealing with their parts of the invasion as well. Uh, her husband, uh, uh, Paul, who's also a Cobra, um, is also involved in all this. All, all this happens in Cobra War, which leads directly into Cobra Rebellion, which is the sudden reemergence or reappearance of the Dominion of Man out at the Cobra Worlds. They have sent three uh, warships to the Cobra Worlds for uh, ostensibly to make contact with the, their, their lost uh, colonies, but there is a somewhat darker purpose involved, which um, some of the, the uh, Dominion people are enthusiastic for, others are considerably less. I should mention that the original Cobra, Johnny Moreau, had a brother, James, and one of the, the commander of one of the Dominion ships that comes to the Cobra world is a descendant of his, uh, Barrington Moreau. So we have the family the Moreau family we've been following for nine books and now bring in another branch of the family, but from a different point of view, different polit political system, different goals and motivations. Yeah. And he's uh, the commander of one of the Dominion uh, destroyers, is it? Yes, uh, uh, battle cruisers, I oh, think they're called. Yeah. Um, so the... 
Dominion shows up, and uh, as you say, they say hello by uh, basically trying to take over some of the Cobra worlds, or at least uh, compelling them to ally again with them. Um, well, you're, you're lost colonies. We are the mother uh, world or the Dominion. Of course, you're going to. Uh, we're going to take you back over and and bring your political structure and your people and your society back in line with what is good and proper, i.e., which is us, which is not going over very well with a lot of the Cobra world people. Yeah, and the is Aventine the uh, the main world of the. Uh... Of the Moreaus and the Brooms. A- Aventine is the, the the capital word of world of the Cobra Worlds. Again, they've only been for, here for a hundred years, so Aventine is not entirely colonized. And the two or three other worlds that they have uh, sent colonies to are also much smaller. the uh, The two that really play into most of this book are Aventine and Kaelian, which is a a world that is very toxic, very uh, uh, aggressive biosphere that the humans are only kind of holding fingernail hold on and only because they've got the cobras to fight fight against uh, the, the plant life and animal life that is just is very hostile to, to uh, human presence there. I totally want to talk about the, uh, yeah. the Dominion's attempted invasion of Kaelian. <laughs> That was that was that was a fun one. Yes, that's a great scene. Um, you you have all sorts of layered stuff on Kaylee, and you have uh, uh, you know birds that'll eat. A lot a lot of it starts. A lot of the aggressiveness starts with a, a uh, molds and things that'll get on human clothing and such, and on the buildings, which are then which then attract uh, small insects, which attract birds, which attract larger birds, which attract attract predators, and over the years, they they really had trouble keeping this mold and and other stuff off off their buildings, off their their clothing. Uh, but since that's of only limited use uh, or limited effectiveness, uh, they they wind up being attacked a lot. And the cobras are really all that stands in the way of complete destruction of the the uh, you know, handful of colony cities and areas on Kaelian. So when the Dominion attempts to invade Kaolin um, earlier in the in the series, uh, the Dominion had poked around there and been rebuffed, and uh, so they send in some more forces. So the uh, the the uh, Cobra Worlds, the people, are they the Kaolians, simply use the. Uh, biosphere against the invaders who have really no idea what's going on. So, for example, I think they splatter some of them, of the uh, the marines, with the berry juice that will attract insects. The, the uh, Dominion marines have an auto-fire laser system built into their, their suits. Well, this is, this is great against large things, but you start getting a whole bunch of insects in, and the thing is going to be the auto-targeting is going to start going crazy, especially when the birds start following in. So they, they basically don't have to fight much at all, just turn the planet itself against the, the invaders. Again, the Kaelians know what's going on. They know how, how, how to manipulate the system, and the Dominion has no idea. So they get rebuffed fairly quickly and fairly uh, 
instantaneously. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 like oh, these are just butterflies. They're not gonna. <laughs> then there's more and more and more, and they're attracting other rather rather nastier. Um, it's just a, it's a great chapter. Um, it, it's something. I mean, the Kaelians have been working on. I don't remember exactly when they were. Uh, first colonized, but they've been at this for at least 50 years and have learned a lot. You know, still, they still only have a bare foothold on this planet, though so there are indications in the series that that may get better with the uh, help of the Kasamans. Uh, but, the, yeah, it's, it's a, you guys have no idea what's going on. Let us show you how uh, really invading our world is not a good idea. Not a good idea, yeah. And, um, the so who uh, there's a cobra with them who is is Jason I think uh, room am I right or it's one of them that he's been um, he's been compromised they've tried to get the location of the Kasama uh, because nobody knows where Kasama the Dominion doesn't know where Kasama is right and right. and they want to capture it in order to get some of those allegedly great. Uh, technological weapons that they have to fight the trough with. Yeah, they have, yeah, they've got ulterior motives as to why they want to get to Kasama. The, the Moreau family are the ones basically who, who have the coordinates, and they don't want to give it up because they don't trust the Dominion to uh, whatever they're planning. They don't trust them. Uh, in many ways, the, the, the uh, Moreau family helped the Kasamans beat back the troughs on Kasama during the Cobra war, uh, the war, and in many ways, that was what got the the, uh, the troughs off the Cobra worlds. The Cobra worlds themselves weren't anywhere weren't anywhere near winning in that, but because of the victory by the Kasamans, they were able to get some allies in and such uh, from the other trough domains. So the Moreau family considers the Kasamans to be. The people who really, whether the Cobra worlds accept this or not, they're the ones who, who uh, saved the bacon for Aventine and the others. So they have no interest in giving the location to Dominion people who have already demonstrated their, their lack of um, consideration for the, the Cobra worlds themselves. They have no idea what the Dominion would do with Kasama and have no interest in giving, it, getting, giving them the uh, location. So there is uh, a lot of that going on there. The Dominion is, is pressuring the Moreau family in various ways and um, playing out the politics and military part of that, that, that aspect as well. So, all right, so, we, so far we have the settings of, uh, uh, we have Aventine. And one thing we should mention about Aventine is, is, and the Cobra Worlds is that the Dominion has introduced these collars um, as a, a rather nasty means of controlling the Cobras. What is their purpose, and what might the Cobras hope to do about it? The Cobras are really the only thing that stands in the Dominion's way. They, there is early on in the Dominion arrival, there is a brief fight between some of the Cobras and some of the Dominion Marines with their, their auto-target system. The Cobras lose very badly, but the, the Dominion is smart enough to realize these are the guys who are 
who are our greatest threat, and we have to neutralize them. However, we don't want to go around just killing them because we we want the populace on our side as much as possible, and, and wholesale slaughter is really not going to be good for that. So they uh, introduce collars, explosive collars, that will go around the, the cobra's necks, uh, just enough explosive, explosive to basically kill that one cobra and, and no other uh, collateral damage. Uh, and their goal is now to put collars around all of the cobras on Aventine so that they can be neutralized as, as trouble and the Dominion can go, get on to its, its basic mission here. Um, the cobras obviously don't like this. Some of them go underground. Others of them uh, come up with other, other things to try. Uh, key to this is um, uh, uh, Corwin Moreau, uh, who is quite old at this point, a former governor of one of the provinces in Aventine, uh, retired. He is uh, Jim Moreau's um, uncle, I think his un- uncle, and so great uncle to Lorne, Jody, and Merrick. Uh, but he has a plan that is is being put into operation in this in the series and uh, comes to fruition uh, in the in the this final book. Yeah, cool. And the uh, all right. Meanwhile, um, we have another setting: the planet uh, Muin, uh, where Merrick is. Right. Um, and he is on quite an extended mission. He's nearly been enslaved by the trough, and now he's connected with a slave rebellion and has an alliance of sorts with the trough as we begin. Can you, can you tell us what, he's, what is he up to? Um, okay. Merrick was on Kasama during the uh, Cobra War trilogy. He was captured by one of the, the, uh, the trough commanders, and the commander basically said, we have information that there may be human slaves by enslavement or a planet enslaved uh, by one of the other demeans. We are of, this is where the the troughed politics start coming to play. We we want to know where where this planet is, what's going on, possibly neutralize this this demean lord as his, as as a, uh, a serious political force in our area. And he basically talks uh, Merrick into going there with one of one of the other slaves. Uh, uh, I've forgotten her name. Um, to find out where the planet is, find out what the troughs are doing with human slaves, and uh, basically help him take take that place down. So Merrick has infiltrated. Uh, sort of been caught. The, the people don't really know he's a cobra. They know he's a foreigner and probably a spy. And then he is—he sort of accidentally hooks up with a trough from yet another trough demean, who also has his own agenda on Munin. So he and the 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 the, the, uh, uh, the trough agent and Merrick have come to a temporary agreement. Uh, we both want the drug these these troughs are creating uh, to use in their war or the war against the Dominion of Man. 
we both want cop- uh, samples of this drug. We will work together to uh, obtain it, and then we'll figure out what happens with our alliance. So Merrick is now running with a, you know, a, a special agent from a different troft demean. It is tricky trying to keep them in, keep them uh, organized, but you know, no worse than probably a Clancy novel. <laughs> well, uh, it's you got to because that's how you can beat the troft. Is by um, is that they um, they don't all they're they're very uh, how would you say they just they they. they they're based on alliances, and they don't trust each other. And their idea of an alliance is what serves my interests right now at this moment, right? Exactly, yeah. So if you can take them apart piece by piece, you can defeat them. If you can persuade an alliance of a dozen of the demeans, or it, persuade half of them that this is not going to be profitable and have them uh, you know, desert the alliance, you can take them down that way. So... It's a, a very much a piece-by-piece piece sort of thing you have to do. The Dominion understands this, but is not necessarily good at it. The Cobra worlds understand it a lot better. Yeah. The Dominion is, is um, they're imperial, and they're, they're just, they don't seem as quick on their feet, although they have some very competent uh, folks in their, in their Navy and their Marines. Um, still, it seems like the Cobras are... are uh, going to be a lot better because they're just, they just think better on their feet well, fighting these troughs. Again, with something the size of Dominion, you will have inevitably a bureaucracy, you'll have politics, you'll have all of the stuff that you know, any large organization does and is not necessarily good for a military's ability to operate fast and, uh, you know, Take advantage of uh, unexpected things, etc. So, yeah, we've got we've got politi- uh, politics involved in the Dominion military. That you've got it to some extent on the Cobra worlds, but they since they don't have so much military, a lot of the times the Cobras are there on Aventine are simply working around the politics or ignoring the politics. Dominion uh, military can't do that, and and so as you say, they are slower on the uptake. Um, their people are not necessarily slower, but the organization itself is. Yeah. And this drug that the Trofter are developing on Muin are, is an enslavement drug for humans. Uh, pretty much, yeah. It's a loyalty drug enslavement. Uh, it would, if you give it to humans, they will be, uh, as you say, enslaved, loyal to the Trofts. They will do whatever they have been ordered to do. Um, it's a, a very much of a fifth column type of thing, and it would be devastating during the war if they could get this get this into the any of the Dominion military. Um, also, to some extent, it would it kind of subtly indicates that they may be not doing as well as they would hope on the hardware military battle side of things if they're having to go to something like this, which is. Uh, a very cool thing, but it's going to be a lot harder than just you know, slugging it out ship to ship. So there may be the, the troughs may be having some trouble uh, back at the military or at the battle, main battle line, which is not something that's going to help our characters any at this point. Hmm. 
Also, uh, another uh, thread of the story is um, they're they've left um, Kasama uh, Jody Jody Moreau and her contingent, I believe, um, who have. Uh, where are they going? There's they've they've allied with this Marine on the uh, Dominion Marine on board. Um, what where it's the Squire, right? Where is right? Where's this ship heading, and what is the purpose of the? The, the um, Jody found information on possibly what had happened to her brother Merrick. He was taken, he caught during captured during the war, disappeared from Kasama. Uh, Jody found some information about where he might be, enlisted the help of a couple of uh, friends who were uh, Kaelian Cobras. Uh, they got hold of a Dominion uh, courier ship and are heading out there. And along the way, they have a Marine who was still left aboard this ship, uh, unbeknownst to them, who has more or less allied with them because, first of all, he understands nobody left behind, and Jody's brother at the moment has been in some way left behind, and also because he's now on this ship, and his survival depends on all of them getting out alive. So we have, he has his own political military point of view, but again, he understands this is the situation and I need to adapt to it. So we have a, another somewhat uneasy alliance going on here between Jody and her Kalian friends and also a uh, Kasaman, Kasaman woman is with them as pilot and uh, and our Dominion Marine. And Jody's kind of the, the younger generation, right? Um, and Jody, Jody is the younger sister of Lauren and Merrick. So uh, she is she is part of the Moreau family. Actually, it's the Broom family because her mother, Jasmine Jin Moreau, married Paul Broom. So it's, but the Kasamans consider her as part of the, the Moreau family, and since they are somewhat uh, honoring of, of uh, Jen Moreau for reasons that go back again, um, she is held in rather high esteem by the Kasamans. should also mention that the Kasamans have their own agendas, their own uh, purposes, and you know one of which is not getting sucked into another war since the last one was pretty devastating for the planet. And they also have something of a, a, a genius mastermind leading them, uh, uh, Amnathi, uh, Mofran Amnathi, who is um, who is very good at playing people against each other and coming up with uh, solutions that other people haven't thought of. And another uneasy alliance between him and some of the Dominion people. So. We got a whole bunch of people working together who not do not necessarily like each other, and maybe going in opposite directions. Um, but you know, this is this is one of my books. They'll figure it out in the end. Yeah, and the um, and and Jody and her group are basically on the way to rescue Merrick. Or to they're hoping that Merrick is at this planet. They've got coordinates for, yeah. and if so, their plan is to rescue him. How Meanwhile, Merrick is kicking ass on Muin, which is pretty much though he is he is all <coughs> running. I mean, he's he's not Superman. 
so he he is uh, a little behind the curve in certain places, a little ahead of the curve in other places. Uh, he's having to dodge the local troughs. He's having to make sure that his his uh, uh, alliance with the agent troughs is not going to end badly. And there are also some other things happening on uh, Munin among the human slave population that may or may not be helpful to him. Yeah, they want to rebel, but they're really not very good at it, it seems. Yeah, yeah. It's something like that. But that uh, the Muin segments are my favorite part of the book. They're, that's the action, uh, the real action stuff. And Merrick is a real, uh, is a, is is good at that sort of thing, commando stuff. Yeah, there, there's there's a lot of different different uh, arenas of action. You know, Aventine, uh, uh, the the ship that is following Jody, the Dominion ship, and the politics and things happening there. Uh, Kasama and Munin, and all of them have you know some of our our lead characters in them, but all of them have a slightly different flavor because all of them are different setups, different politics, different you know, antagonists. Uh, so there, there's a it's a pretty good blend of you know, pretty much you, you throw these troughs, you know, Cobra World, Dominions, and uh, Kasamans together, and you get almost every combination and permutation you're going to you get out of those someplace in this in this book in the series. Yeah. So the stakes are are to avoid this this to avoid a big war that's just going to be devastating for everyone. Survive um, and make sure that human humanity doesn't get enslaved by that damn trough drug as well. Um, and we just uh, we get a great action packed novel. Um, would this be? It seems to me this would be a good book for the reader who's maybe been holding out on this this segment of the series. Go ahead and uh, and get all three books in the Cobra Rebellion series. And um, yeah, I mean it's helpful to know from the very beginning the original uh, Cobra books, but you could jump into Cobra Rebellion without having read the others. There's enough background set up uh, for them. Uh, you, you mentioned the original three Cobra novels are in an omnibus. The Cobra War novels are also in an omnibus. Yes. So uh, there are... i got to update that bio. Those first six books at a, a very reasonable price. But if you want to start with uh, uh, Cobra Rebellion, you certainly can do that. Uh, you can pick up the background later if you wish. But yeah, you could you could pick up these books on their own and not be completely lost. Yeah, and you you can you put enough backstory in each of them that I mean you could easily just jump into Tr- Cobra Trader as well if you wanted to, and then uh, become intrigued and read the rest backwards. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean they they are they are linked obviously, but and, and I would recommend starting if you're going to start in the middle, start with the first of the Cobra War. Uh, I mean, Cobra Rebellion books, uh, rather than Cobra Trader. You could do it, but you'd, you'd have a lot more understanding of the background and, and how things are working if you started with Cobra, uh, Cobra, Cobra Slave. Slave, Slave, and then Renegade. Outlaw? Outlaw, sorry. Cobra Slave, Cobra Outlaw, and Cobra Trader. Yeah. Right. Make up this series. Um, 
So it we got kind of a a sort of a finale here. Um, mm-hmm. Is uh, is is the is the series ongoing? Um, what's what's up next with Cobras? The series is done for the at least for the immediate moment. I, I designed this to end. Uh, as you say, it's got a good good uh, closing point. I may come back to it at some point, but at the moment, these nine books are are the, the plan is to be done with the, the series with these nine. Well, it's just it's just great fun. Um, the whole the whole thing. If if you if you love military it, uh, science fiction, if you love um, space adventure, uh, big uh, space opera kind of stuff with all sorts of alliances and and um, and various cool weaponry as well. This is a this is a great series for that. So what are what are you working on at the moment, Tim? Well, as you said, we've got a call to vengeance, the third Manticore Ascendant book coming out. I think in March. Uh, we've got three more books uh, contracted for in that series, and possibly more after that. Uh, the uh, follow-up to uh, Thrawn, which uh, the Star Wars book that came out in last April, uh, Thrawn Alliances comes out. I think in July. I have the second book of a new series, Sybil's War. Uh, the first book, Pawn, came out uh, last year. second book, Night, will be coming out uh, later this summer or fall. Uh, I don't think it's scheduled yet. And uh, that's about it for the moment. The Dragonback series is being re-released. And uh, I've got a few other ideas of things uh, once I have some free time, which isn't looking like it's happening anytime soon. <laughs> well, there's it's a it's another zonorific year <laughs> coming up. Um, so uh, the book out now at booksellers everywhere is Cobra Trader by Timothy Zahn. It's available at booksellers everywhere. Like I said, Tim, uh, thank you so much for being with us and talking about Cobra Trader. No problem. Thanks for having me. This is another entry in Alliance of Equals, a Leaden Universe novel by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller. Beset by the angry remnants of the Department of the Interior, and challenged at every turn by opportunists on their new homeworld of Sherbleek, and low on funds, Clan Corville desperately needs to reestablish its position as one of the top trading clans in known space. To this end, master trader Sean Yosgalen and Corville's premier trade ship, Dutiful Passage, is on a mission to establish new business associations and to build a strong primary route that links well with existing loops and secondary routes. But re-establishing trade and preserving the lives of the few remaining members of the clan aren't all of Corval's problem. Matters come to a head as Dutiful Passage, accustomed to being welcomed and feeded at those ports on its call list, finds itself denied docking and blacklisting while agents of the DOI mounted armed attacks on others of Corville's traders under the very eyes of port security systems. Traveling with dutiful trader on this unsettling journey is Patty O'Scalen, the master trader's heir and his apprentice. Patty is eager to make up for time lost due to Corville's unpleasantness with the Department of the Interior, but she is also keeping a secret so intense that her coming of age, and perhaps her very life, is threatened by it. And here is the latest entry in Sharon Lee and Steve Miller's 
Alliance of Equals. Chapter 21 Admiral Bunter, Jemmy Atha's Jumble Stop What with one thing and a solid has stall, they got seven days at station before word came from Stu that the station master'd got himself convinced to call in the hunters. Seven days that were seven hours on, seven hours off, with Tolly laying in the broad strokes and Inky filling in the details. Basic stuff, lots of cross-refs, weeks of mentoring crammed into hours. Sometime in between tutoring and sleep, he talked with Tokel, who in turn talked with Inky. The Admiral was, reasonably enough, privy to all and everything that was said. The mentors and Tokel felt that the best thing for the Admiral and for any pirates or bounty hunters he might encounter was for Tolly to stay with him. Not only would the presence of a human pilot on board waylay any questions regarding the Admiral's nature, they would be able to continue with the curriculum. The Admiral had not been completely on board with this plan, the Admiral being of the opinion that he could take care of himself, in addition to being somewhat averse to further education. Has, so the plan went, would serve as Pilot Tokel's insurance on her trip back home to Shorebleak, and Inky would go on to wherever it was that Inky was next bound. Tokel had a go at convincing the Admiral of the need for local color, at least until he had live-tested discovery scenarios and had practiced his clean getaway a couple times or more. The most she got was a promise from the Admiral to sleep on it, which Tolly and Inky both considered to mean, I'll give you my definitive answer on our next shift together. So it was that Talid walked into the study room on his last shift with a heavy heart. He'd gotten to know the Admiral pretty well during this intensive training course and knew him to be of a mind to leave humans and human space far behind him. Couldn't really blame him, considering the treatment he'd gotten so far from humans themselves not excluded. On the other hand, being as paradoxical as any other living thing, the Admiral wanted to be of use. Tolly worried that was Captain Waitley's influence, even now setting that order to keep the station safe. Well, not much he could do about it, except ask the question and abide by the answer, same as he would if Haz took it into her head to go herring out into the wide universe with no backup and no real understanding of what she was getting herself into. Morning, Admiral, he said, his usual greeting, no matter what the station clock said. Good morning, Tolly, came the answer. You will be pleased to know that I have reconsidered and will welcome you as my pilot when we leave Jemiatha Station. He blinked and scrambled a moment mentally. I am pleased, he said, in the warmest tone available to him. 
Mind if I ask what changed your mind? I had a discussion with Inky last shift, and she was able to show me the wisdom of the proposed course. Well, well, Inky and her powers of persuasion. He'd have to remember to thank her. Good, he said. You want to get a departure time from station? I have done so, pilot. Nice parse, Tolly said, smiling. Now, Inky tells me you and her were talking about law and justice. Want to give me a recap? We'll take up where she left off. Patty had her notepad and her cards tucked into a public pocket of her jacket. Info keys containing her resume and contact information, including the passage's pinbeam code, had already gone down to Langlast Port. Care of Unet Hartensis of Hartensis Catering and Receptions, who would convey them along with the trade displays that had also been shipped portside to the happy occasion, where the reception would take place trade etiquette, and proper presentation, which she had found very dull going in the past, had proven invaluable in the case. There was a perfectly straightforward equation for how many info keys to take to a trade show. It worked out to roughly 30% of the expected attendees. She had added a few more in case Langlast's traders were eager. Her cards, of course, were not for everyone, though the World Book informed her that the local merchants gave cards as a means of introduction, though they would also offer info keys. If she gave out two cards, Father would no doubt marvel aloud at her ability to form such rapid connections, but she had hope that all of her info keys would be taken up. She patted her pockets one more time, making sure that the Unicredit card was secure, looked in the mirror to assure herself that her hair hadn't come out of its tail yet, and left her quarters at a brisk walk, heading for the shuttle bay. Their port-bound party included, beside herself and father, Vanner Higgs, making their third and providing security. Father had taken a suite at the Torridon Hotel on the port, which would be their base for at least three days so that they might make a complete tour. A complete tour of a brand new port was reason to be excited, and Patty supposed that she was, or she would be, after she had gotten the reception behind her and perhaps taken a nap. She'd had one last communication from Unet Hartensis, who assured her that all was well, that all packages from the ship had been received, that their client farm had sent an arrangement of fresh-cut flowers with the vegetables as a gift to the guests. They brightened the room, Unet said, and brought summer onto the port. Patty hoped that the flowers were not an expensive extra that had been deftly slipped in under her nose. If they were, of course, she would dispute the charge. She had in her notepad a copy of the itemized order and projected cost, and flowers were not one of the items listed. 
She was, she assured herself as she hurried down the hall to the shuttle bay, completely organized and prepared for any eventuality. She only wished that her stomach believed it. Ah, here she is at last, father said as she entered the shuttle boarding gate. He was there with Mr. Higgs and shuttle pilot Chris Embratheri. That was odd. Usually the pilot was aboard the shuttle ahead of the passengers, but perhaps Chris had already done the checks and come out to chat. Forgive me, she said. I had no notion that I was late. Oh no, you are most fortunately slightly ahead of our departure, father assured her. Pilot Embratheri has expressed a desire to sit as a passenger on this trip. You, therefore, will pilot us to Langlast Port. She stared at him, then looked to Pilot Embratheri, who gave her a grin, and stepped forward to offer the ship key. Paddy received it with a murmur of thanks as a shiver of anticipation ran up her spine. She was going to pilot live. The prospect pleased her. She bowed to her passengers. If you please, I will perform the pre-flight. She glanced at the bay door and the amber light above it. When the light goes to green, you may board, she said, though there was not one of them that did not know the procedure. Thank you, pilot, father said serenely. We will await your signal. Sean settled into his chair, engaged the webbing, and leaned his head against the rest. Chris was in the observer's chair and Vanner in the passenger seat nearest. They were chatting, low-voiced between themselves, boon companions, and canny old campaigners that they were. The murmur of their voices would soothe the pilot's nerves, simultaneously assuring her that she was not alone and that no one was paying the slightest attention to her. Not quite true, of course. Chris was observing and would be quick to the board should there be need. Sean didn't think there would be need. It was a well-known trait of pilots, especially of Corval pilots, that they found Sims useful to a certain specific point. But live flight, that was blood and breath to them. Danae was very right to suppose that Paddy's late setbacks were attributable to nothing more than simple boredom. He settled his head more comfortably against the chair rest and closed his eyes. Vanner and Chris were fond comrades, their bond burnished by time, glowing with a steady, comfortable warmth, like a banked fire. Sean deliberately shut them out of his perception and concentrated on Paddy. There was some anxiety there, flutters of oranges and ambers, Nothing out of the way for a second-class pilot who had been abruptly called to an unexpected duty. There was also a definite, though rather subdued, sense of pleasurable excitement. 
he considered that, having expected to find more vivacity present in the face of live flight, but perhaps the child was still worrying over details of the reception. If so, that would soon enough be put aside. In fact, all passengers, Paddy said from the board, we are cleared. Drop in three at my mark. Mark. Hasenthal had finished laying in Terrigan's outbound course when it came to her. It came to her that she was never going to see him again. That he would travel with the Admiral until that person was deemed able to take care of himself, and then Tolly would take up his life. His life that had nothing to do with Shurbleek, nor with Hazenthal nor Felium. She, of course, would provide cover for Pilot Tokel until they raised Shurbleek, when they too would part, and she would return to Corval's house and take up her duty there. Perhaps Commander Lazardi would have her back on port security, but the thought of partnering with some other of the guards did not appeal. Perhaps there was some other duty to which she might be set, though she would, naturally, abide by the captain's orders. She sighed and spun out of her chair. The ship was too quiet, she thought, with Tolly and Inky, Tokel too, aboard Admiral Bunter. Tolly had filed for an interim registration, gaining the Admiral a temporary home port at Callion. It would do well enough until they were clear of Jemiatha space. They would likely file for a permanent registration at Waymart, but she, she would never know. Hazenthal took a deep, impatient breath and turned as the lock cycled. A familiar step sounded in the hall, and she felt lightheaded as if she had fallen hard and all of the air gone out of her lungs. Before she had her breath back, Tolly had entered the bridge and stopped, the easy smile fading from his face. What's the problem, Has? She would sound a fool, she thought. But when had Tolly ever laughed at her? I was thinking that this will be the last time I will see you, she said. I will miss you. He came forward, face serious. He'd lost weight, she noticed with dismay. The work was wearing him away, and the Admiral did not know enough about human people to insist that he eat, exercise, and keep regular shifts. I'll miss you too, Has. I'm glad we had some extra time to get to know each other better extra time. She glanced aside. That wasn't what you wanted to hear, he said. Tolly had learned her too well. And now, she took another breath, pushing the air deep in her lungs, and met his eyes. I like you, Tolly Jones, she said, her voice a raspy whisper. Very much. Blue eyes widened, and she had no trouble reading distress, felt her chest constrict again. No, hey, 
Paz. He had her hand between his small, warm palms and looked up at her, ridiculous, fragile Terran that he was. But she knew that for a lie, even as the thought formed. He was Tolly. Nothing else mattered. Paz, I'm flattered. And I like you too, very much. But you gotta know something. Everybody likes me, near enough. That's part of the design. She frowned down at him, seeing the exhaustion in his face. Is this a comrade's care? She asked herself. He needs rest, not a challenge. And yet, do you say that my partiality is an illusion? His mouth tightened, and his hands did around hers. Not saying that at all. Your feelings are absolutely real. I'm sorry, that's all. Because you might not have had them except for the design. Probably wouldn't have, in fact. And now I've made you unhappy. And that's not how I ought to treat the best partner I ever had. His eyes glittered. And it would be among the worst things she had ever done, equal to her part in the elder's death if she forced such a warrior as Tolly Jones to tears. The scout says that there is balance in all things, she said. So if I will miss you very much, then I have liked being your partner very much. I will remember that. For a moment, she thought she had done her worst. Then he blinked and smiled and raised her hand. He bent his head, and she felt his lips, warm and soft on her skin. She took a careful breath and held very still, even as he relinquished her and looked up, smiling. Not the old, bright smile, but a softer thing. Perhaps sadder. That's the ticket, he said. I'll remember you has. I'm glad we could say goodbye. I am glad too, she said, and could think of nothing else to add. Right then, he said more briskly. I'll just pick up the rest of my kit. Early lift tomorrow. That was another entry in the complete audiobook serialization of Alliance of Equals by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller. And that's it for the podcast. Thanks to Audible.com and to podcast theme composer Ruth Jukowitz. And a great big Texas 10-4 on the excellence of the Cobra Rebellion trilogy, as well as plaudits, laws, and thanks for Timothy Zahn, author of Cobra Trader. Please join us next time here at the hammering heart of science fiction and fantasy. And keep reaching for the stars.